this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Dan and Ian from Ideal Collab. Ideal Collab has a platform for collaborative impact. They connect organizations to shape technology's impact on the world. Now, to get a little bit deeper into this, they've been in the news lately. Uh, Dan and Ian especially have been uh, working on a startup studio. And so the CoLab membership focuses on research and design activities. From everything from a four-day sprint to multi-week projects, they start with your organization's hard programs and problems and create experience prototypes that look 12 plus months ahead of the market. And so they work very closely with their companies. They've spent uh, a lot of time over the last four or five years now in blockchain and crypto in open financial systems. So we talked a lot about that and how they're actually now 50 mentors that they just announced. And also they have some amazing big corporate support from everyone from Fidelity to Deloitte to Amazon. We talked a lot about Amazon and how they're helping uh, with the providing resources on how to build and deploy services on top of its AWS infrastructure. It was really interesting. We also talked about um, effectively how many different companies they've had. They've had over 30 different uh, projects come in through their, uh, their studio. And so we talked everything from IPFS to Zeppelin OS to Augur to Zcash. And then we also spent some time with Dan specifically because Dan has been very vocal about things that are happening in DeFi and open finance. Um, and we talked about this notion that he has about super fluid collateral. This was a really interesting conversation too. A lot here. This is a great conversation. Remember, nothing on base layer is investment advice. So please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear the conversation I had with Dan and Ian. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Dan Elitzer and Ian Lee from Ideal Colab Ventures. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Very How are you, good. David? Thank you. It is a hot and steamy day here in New York, and the guys are up uh, in Massachusetts. And so we're going to have a hot and steamy conversation about crypto and blockchain and blockchain and crypto and all that sort of good stuff. So uh, we'll have some fun with this. I've gotten to talk to Dan, and I've gotten to know Ian a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk about really weird, fun things like super fluid collateral, and we're going to learn about everything that Ideal Collab is doing there. And so with that, guys, if you could you know, give a brief introduction to the listeners about yourselves uh, independently, and then we're going to talk about Ideal Collab Ventures and what you guys are doing there. Sure. Thanks, David. Um, so my name is Dan Elitzer, and I got my, my uh, interest in Bitcoin first got peaked. Um, as I was working for a microfinance organization called Grameen Foundation, I was managing uh, the finance and accounting uh, functions and field offices in eight different countries. And so really saw the pain of trying to move money across borders. And then also saw the power of mobile money systems in countries like Kenya, but also the limitations in terms of being able to go uh, cross carrier and not even being able to go you know, cross border either. So. Um, when I saw Bitcoin, and it wasn't the first time, uh, I, I dismissed Bitcoin the first few times I'd seen it as some sort of fake internet money. Uh, but once I'd really experienced some of the challenges in moving money globally and allowing individuals to hold and move money on their own phones, 
that's when Bitcoin clicked for me as the ability to have a truly open protocol to send, receive, and store value. Uh, and so I just really went deep down the rabbit hole. I was starting my MBA at MIT Sloan that fall. I ended up starting the MIT Bitcoin Club. Um, worked with an amazing undergrad named Jeremy Rubin to launch the MIT Bitcoin Project. And we gave away $100 in Bitcoin to all of the undergrads at MIT back in the fall of 2014. And uh, you know, since then, I've just been kind of all blockchain, all crypto all the time and uh, joined IDEO about four years ago with this uh, IDEO collab team, which we'll, we'll tell you a little bit more about. But I, I want to give Ian a chance to kind of give you his uh, Bitcoin uh, origin story as well. Great. So, hi, uh, this is Ian Lee uh, with IDEO Collab Ventures, colleague of Dan's here. So my origin story is actually um, quite the opposite from Dan, which is actually why we work really well as a team. So back in 2014, I was a part of Citigroup's venture arm called City Ventures. And I was given, um, distinctly remember this, this uh, very unfortunate task back in kind of middle of 2014 to understand for the bank what the hell this Bitcoin thing was and, and whether we need to care about it. And uh, <laughs> it was interesting because it was actually like one of the fastest ways to get fired at a bank at the time. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm pretty sure I've almost gotten fired multiple times, but I somehow made it through. And um, pretty immediately, you know, after reading Satoshi's white paper, because that was really the only thing um, to educate myself at the time, uh, immediately kind of drew a connection between Bitcoin and what I had been researching for about 10 years in the open um, software space uh, with like platforms like um, iOS and, and Android, and immediately saw a connection between Bitcoin and kind of open software and how Bitcoin was essentially an open fintech uh, developer stack. And when I realized that, which was kind of in, in late 2014, uh, immediately started championing within Citigroup that we, we needed to pay attention to this and we needed to be investing in it much more heavily. So in my role, um, I was a head of uh, Citi's global lab network. And so a lot of um, Citigroup's early work in the blockchain space was not through its investing um, activities, but um, through uh, the labs that I had been working with. And so um, pretty early on, we started seeding some uh, technical experiments, basically forking off of Bitcoin's protocol to understand what its properties, uh, what its features, uh, what its possibilities were. And, and in particular, some of the early work was trying to understand how Bitcoin and other decentralized cryptocurrencies that may emerge may impact um, in particular central banks. And we were um, you know, uh, advising uh, a number of central banks around the world on this topic, which is pretty interesting when you think about what's happening right now with uh, you know, Libra and, and Facebook and, and so on. And so fast forward to uh, where I am today, you know, I was uh, uh, not fired, <laughs> unfortunately, became the blockchain lead at Citigroup for three years from 2014 to 2017. And in 2015, met Dan and the uh, IDEO team here when they were starting the collab to explore blockchains as a network as opposed to with individual companies and um, joined on along with Fidelity, NASDAQ, and, and we launched it at um, Harvard uh, back in 2015. So I was uh, one of Collab's original kind of corporate partners. And then 2017, as the tokenization wave really started catching on as you know, ERC20 and, and things like that. Um, started taking root, um, left City Ventures, joined the IDEO Collab team in middle of 2017, 
And then uh, since then, I've uh, been working with Dan and others to do things like roll out our investing program and also more recently our startup studio program for blockchain companies. You see, this is why we do the show. You know, who knew? I didn't know. And I thought I've, I've known a lot of things, but I had no idea that Citigroup even had a blockchain lead. And now we know that. So that's just, you know, we knew obviously about JP Morgan with their efforts with Quorum. We've known about some efforts or false starts at Goldman Sachs. You know, I knew that they're, you know, that the banks were obviously, you know, taking a very serious look at this, but I didn't know that they had a blockchain lead. So this is, I think this obviously follows into the narrative and why we have the podcast is that traditional finance has been taking a look at this, not just for the last year or two as a proactive, you know, price uh, kind of movement. It's been actually something happening over the last four or five years, if not more, especially with efforts like Fidelity. So super interesting. And thanks for, for bringing us up to speed on that, because I think a lot of people need to keep hearing that, that a lot of these efforts, again, were not because of Bitcoin's recent meteoric price and you know, all-time highs of 21000 You know, at the uh, Q4 of 2017. It was actually something that was happening before that. And I think that's really an important kind of story to tell. And so if you could, you know, I love what you guys are doing there, um, really kind of getting your hands dirty with these projects. Give us a high-level description of IDEO CoLab Ventures and what you guys are, what your mission statement is and what you're trying to accomplish. Sure. So uh, IDEO CoLab Ventures is uh, part of, of IDEO CoLab, uh, and IDEO CoLab itself is part of IDEO. So maybe the uh, place to start is giving people who may not be familiar with IDEO an explanation there. So IDEO is a uh, four-decade-old um, innovation and design uh, consultancy and, and studio, and got known for helping to popularize and, and really lead the way with the concept of human-centered design and design thinking. Uh, one of the early clients for IDEO was Apple, uh, and they worked with Steve Jobs and others to develop the uh, original Apple mouse uh, for consumers, and has had a long history since then of working with companies to make things more usable, more human, uh, and fit better into their lives. And this isn't just products, but it's expanded to thinking about uh, designing services and experience and organizations. Um, and about uh, five or six years ago, IDEO started looking and saying, if we want design to have more of an impact in the world, we can't just do it through consulting. We need to move further upstream and find places of greater leverage. And the most obvious point of leverage was emerging technology. And the first uh, technology that IDEO happened to um, settle on to explore deeper was blockchain technology. And you know, slightly by happenstance, this ended up being the perfect technology for the approach that IDEO CoLab ended up taking, which was a collaborative innovation approach. The idea that it can't just be one company or even one company and uh, consultants looking and seeing what blockchains can do, but you can actually move a lot further, a lot faster when you have the right set of partners all working together, sharing their challenges, sharing their learnings, uh, and actually finding places where their interests might intersect. And blockchains are so perfect because it doesn't make sense to have a blockchain with one entity. You really need uh, a whole ecosystem to be built around them. And so uh, for the last you know, four years, Colab has been going, it's been growing in various ways, not just focused on blockchain technology, but looking at other emerging tech and more recently, uh, big opportunity and impact areas, uh, including open financial systems, 
uh, distributed workforce, uh, collaborative cities, circular economy, uh, and has amassed uh, over 20 different partners who come and participate in this collaborative R&D studio. Now, blockchain has remained a consistent thread through this, and we've developed the deepest expertise there. So about a year and a half ago, we looked at starting to launch an investing program to be able to uh, actually take stakes in some of the early stage companies that we've been seeing and we've been working with uh, to be able to better align incentives with them and allow us to invest more resources in helping them succeed. Right. That's where IdeoCola Adventures came in. And, and then most recently, I'll actually let Ian tell you about the genesis of our startup studio, which is what's uh, really going to be pushing the ball forward for all of our other activities at this point. Yeah, so you may have seen in the news in both Coindesk and The Block last week, we announced the launch of IDEO Collab Startup Studio. And the way to think about it is that um, we're essentially unbundling the startup accelerator model into a co collection of one-day or half-day workshops and programs that focus on very specific topics like helping startups in the blockchain space with designing product or testing their new products with end users or even things like how to hire and scale from a five-person organization to a 30-person organization. And those programs are not only going to be offered by IDEO in the areas that we're really well known for and can uniquely help, but also those programs are going to be offered by a collection of partners which we've assembled around the startup studio itself. So we have over 20 organizations, blue chip and crypto organizations that are coming together to help this ecosystem succeed and help these early stage startups grow and succeed. And so we have partners ranging from Amazon Web Services to Fidelity to Deloitte, Ethereum Foundation, Near Protocol, Tezo, Stellar, the list kind of goes on and on. And um, we just announced this program. The program start rolling out actually in a couple of weeks. And we really think that this is going to be a game changer for the ecosystem. All right. So we're going to be jumping around here in a little bit. Um, there's a few different topics that I want to touch on, but we'll stick with this as you uh, you brought this up. So as you mentioned, Fidelity, Deloitte, Amazon, and about 20 other firms. So Amazon is an interesting name in there. It's not one that we've heard a lot of. Microsoft, Azure did some work. We've seen Google do stuff with Chainlink. We've seen Microsoft do things with Ethereum. Um, Amazon has always been kind of around there. Um, and if you dig deeper into some of the kind of the projects out there, the decentralized apps, many of them have been backed by Infura, which uh, obviously for those that understand the technicals, that is uh, effectively powered by AWS in some ways. And so... If I'm curious, I would love to hear more about Amazon. I know obviously you can't speak for them, but you know, for instance, you know, it says you know we'll provide resources on how to build and deploy services on top of its on on top of AWS. So, do you think or do you envision that as more private blockchains are going to come about from that, or do you think that they will be public blockchains, or is there a hybrid world? What do you think really comes about, you know, kind of building on top of AWS? Do you think you can actually be decentralized? Yeah, that's a great question, David. So um, I think with AWS's involvement, um, they're they're getting involved here, I think, in, in similar ways that, um, you know, Microsoft and Azure have also made pushes here. Uh, they're cloud services providers, and so if there's a new wave of Kind of compute infrastructure that is being built. They want to make sure they're there. And furthermore, um, you know, not every startup that is in the uh, blockchain and crypto ecosystem 
is doing everything on chain. A lot of them have significant infrastructure needs. They have just any traditional startup would need as part of their web stack. And so AWS can really help with that. But but to your you know question about you know can you have uh, public blockchains uh, built on AWS? I think absolutely there there can be options, and it's probably a good idea for uh, public chains to have some nodes running on AWS. Uh, you know it's it's very resilient infrastructure. Uh, it's very scalable, and and it's good to have a variety. We want people running nodes uh, locally on their, their home machines, on cloud services, on their own hosted server farms, what, whatever makes sense. And what really gives these public distributed networks part of their strength and resiliency is that great uh, variety in ways that people choose to participate in these networks. Right. Yeah. It's there's this an interesting thing that's happening over the last few months, in my opinion. Obviously, doing a lot of these you know recordings with people who are building. You know, we had Ori from Blockstrap who have talked a lot about you know talking about layer zero and how you know that if you can build a completely decentralized censorship resistance layer zero, then you actually have fulfilled kind of the dream and the utopia dream of what were you know Bitcoin and decentralized you know kind of. Uh, you know, folks out there feel that this is, you know, should be. But I agree that obviously if you compare, you know, kind of computing power, if we talk about kind of using the compute power of the world and having people using their own servers compared to commercialized stacks like AWS has or Google has, obviously there is a reason why you would want to use that, especially when you're starting, you're just starting your project. And in my opinion, you can start from, you know, kind of crawling to getting to walk and then to run. And so if you can start by just using them and then growing that further into becoming more decentralized, I think there is also a story there too. Um, but let's talk more. Uh, Dan, you kind of touched on this. So with IDEO tilting towards you know, distributed web technologies in 2015, IDEO has collaborated with over 30 blockchain protocols, co-created 12, and invested in nine burgeoning start- startups, including IPFS, Zeppelin OS, Augur, Zcash, Handshake, and Grin. So I'm curious, do you envision a world of multiple protocols or will there be a clear winner or winners in the not-too-distant future? Yeah, so I would say that um, it depends how you define not too distant future. Um, I think that's one of the the hardest things for those of us who are in this space to assess. I, I think there's a lot of people who have a very good sense of the general direction that this technology is heading long term, but the time frame for getting there is is really the big question mark. Uh, I, I do think there will be multiple protocols, multiple winners. I, I'm still a very big uh, believer in the opportunity that, that Bitcoin uh, itself has ahead of it, but there there will not be a a Bitcoin only world where that's the only relevant protocol. Um, it makes sense to have other protocols that are fit for purpose um, for other things, and you know it's it's just too early to say with any certainty uh, what's going to be the winner even in other categories in terms of distributed storage, distributed uh, compute, uh, open financial systems. Uh, There's just a lot that is remaining to be decided. Yeah, just to jump in there. I mean, even when I was looking at blockchains back in 2014 at the bank, um, you know, I was always described blockchains as not a panacea, but actually as a mosaic. And I, I think that is very resonant with what Dan just shared, which is, you know, I think that um, there will always be multiple networks because um, 
networks are going to have different purposes. And therefore, what we're going to find is that um, there are going to be multiple purpose-built networks. Now, how many, uh, you know, unclear, like for certain, you know, uses or purposes, right? Maybe like global sort of value or something, there will be one or, you know, two or something like that. But um, for many use cases that blockchains are exploring, I mean, there, there can be many because, um, it really depends on the purpose, the use, the user, and also the context in which those things are used. And so um, that's how I think these things are going to be designed and ultimately adopted. So that gets me into the next questions in terms of adoption. You just hit on that, Ian. And so, you know, I love the fact that you, quote unquote, you help and validate and validate new prod, uh, product concepts, design product UX, UI, and find many of these projects first launch customers. And so first and foremost, you know, would love to hear why I have not seen I mean, maybe a handful of different projects, different attempts to try to do this. I don't understand why this is not more widely used out there. Um, so would love for you to opine on why do you think it's taken this long to actually, you know, have Someone like you or, you know, obviously what you guys are doing there, why it's taken so long for the market to get to this point, because I think it's something that has been battle tested in venture and other kind of spaces before. Um, but in terms of adoption, you know, getting people to use these these protocols, these platforms, you know, we've had issues regarding speed. Um, you know, I've had time and time again, we've had this conversation on the show about with proof of work, with Bitcoin, we're still at three transactions per second. With Ethereum, we're hovering around seven or eight, give or take. Um, obviously, there are attempts at layer two to speed things up and using state channels and ZK snarks um, and shards and lots of different kind of, dare I call it, kind of copy and paste and, and kind of pins and lots of different you know kind of things that you can kind of tether to these different protocols. But in terms of you know the conversation I've had with people out there is that you know right now, we're in a world of free. You know, Google offers you, you know, mail, offers you maps, offers you lots of different, you know, kind of systems, and they're all free. But obviously, when they're free, you become the product, and they're fast, and you don't have to really pay for anything. Um, but obviously, you are the product, and they're mining everything that you do. Um, but then we go to the crypto and blockchain side of the story. You know, we're not seeing fast per se. You know, we are starting to see that you know kind of improve as networks are starting to get bigger, and we're starting to see, like with the Bitcoin full nodes, there's like 9,600 of them. With Ethereum, there's about 6,400 of them. So we are starting to see those communities get bigger and bigger. But in terms of adoption, you know, as I said, you kind of led into that, you know, how do you actually, as a kind of a studio, how do you actually get adoption when we're still dealing with systems that are relatively slow compared to their legacy kind of counterparts? Yeah, that's a great, that's the trillion dollar question, I guess. <laughs> um, I, I guess my, my view on this is pretty simplistic, which is that none of this matters unless it actually gets used. Um, and that's my North Star, um, which is um, if there's no adoption, then then these networks and these technologies will not be valuable. And that's not specific to blockchain. That's that's true about any new invention or innovation that's happened uh, in human history. And so um, our main focus is is helping um, by teaming with entrepreneurs and these great these great minds and these great teams to actually drive adoption. And adoption can look, you know. Um, pretty different. Like, 
Um, adoption can be among end consumers, it could be among businesses, it could be among governments, it could be among developer communities, right? And so when you when you look at um, a lot of what's kind of been adopted over the last three, five years, most of it's been, been in kind of the developer space as well as, um, you know, the crypto trading space. And, and that, you know, continues and will continue for some time. But to go from like, um, you know, several hundred million users or tens of millions of users to a billion um, users, we're going to need to onboard people that are not crypto native. And, and that's where I think some of the um, methodologies and, and practices and skills that are tried and true in, um, you know, other industries that I think we we as IDEO can offer uniquely to startups in this space um, is why I think the ecosystem and community is, is really excited about um, what we've already done and what we plan to do at, at a, even a larger scale. Right. Um, I want to, you know, sh- have Dan share his thoughts because I'm, I'm sure he has um, his yeah. own. I, mean, I think based on what we've seen in terms of market cap crypto assets, um, it's it's kind of obvious why everyone's trying to have their own layer one chain and launch their own like native native token. Um, but everyone's focused, or not everyone, but a lot of people are focused on building out that kind of base layer smart contract uh, protocol uh, ecosystem. And one of the problems is they're thinking about this as building just infrastructure, but you do need a full ecosystem. And I think all teams understand that to some degree and are going after it in various ways, but there's been a real emphasis on some of the technical underpinnings of the infrastructure. And that's not really how technology advances. It's not just build this amazing infrastructure and then suddenly everyone's going to build on top of it. Uh, our, our friends over at Unisquare Ventures, uh, Danny Grant and Nick Grossman, wrote a great piece uh, a few months back talking about how with every technology wave, there's these cycles where infrastructure advances and then usage advances, uh, like applications advance beyond the capabilities of the infrastructure. And then infrastructure catches up and passes uh, what's needed by apps and then apps move up. And it's, it's, it's a dance where the two move in tandem. And I think thus far, we've seen a lot of emphasis in the blockchain space on infrastructure and maybe not enough on applications that really push the need for more advanced infrastructure. We did see that a bit back in kind of 2017 uh, with the ICO boom on Ethereum, pushing up transaction fees with Bitcoin, seeing very high transaction fees. Um, but that, and that helped to actually catalyze some of the emphasis on these layer two technologies. So I think we'll continue to see this. It will be a dance, uh, but we do need, I think, to get some real traction on the application usage adoption side, um, or it doesn't really matter if we get more scalable base layer infrastructure, we need real users. Yeah, and just to jump in on that, I mean, when IDEO Colab was founded in 2015, the team throughout 2015, 2016, 2017, even to this day, was building what are now called decentralized applications, but we were basically back in 2015, 2016, trying to understand where this thing would actually get adopted. And I, I distinctly recall, you know, back during those times that people thought we were insane to be even thinking about that because, you know, at especially during that time, you know, everyone was saying that it was only an infrastructure phase. And that was true, but it's interesting now that the markets have kind of come along to realize that applications and, and usage is what's going to drive adoption and value of these platforms. And I think we have, you know, some unique perspectives and experience on 
um, where those things may may actually occur. The last thing that I'll just say on this is you referenced earlier, like how a lot of these these networks and these platforms are are still too slow, um, and we're not seeing kind of the throughput or transaction speed that that might be expected um, for certain use cases. But I think what um, I might um, kind of argue is that um, for certain use cases, you may not need um, really fast transaction speeds or high throughput. And it's in those use cases where I think um, that's where we're going to see kind of adoption uh, more quickly or more soon as people are continuing to work on scalability and all these other things. And so that's what um, I personally most excited about are those applications that don't require kind of the scalability um, demands that um, people are still working on. I agree with that. Obviously, the the commentary from the Bitcoin community is that with 10-minute propagation of blocks, there's a security feature there. You know, it's meant to be that way, obviously, to keep the, the network safe and to make sure the transactions are safe. I get it. But, you know, it's always – I've been thinking about this a lot, and I – we're at this point in time in society, you know, I have you know, kids and I see kind of how they interact with technology. They want to see a video when they go on Netflix or they go on YouTube. They want to buy something. They now know how to use Amazon and they know that, you know, one day prime, they can get it probably the next day. These are things that you and I, I don't know how old you guys are, but, you know, these are things that, you know, my generation, possibly your generation and others that might be listening, we're just not used to. We were used to having to go to the store and, you know, possibly getting our food and now we can, you know, use Postmates and have everything brought to us. We were used to going to Blockbuster and going to get a VCR, a tape, you know, putting it into our VCR. Now it's just on demand. It's on our, our remotes. And so I'm just, I'm, what I'm concerned is, is that we, we've gotten to such an instantaneous gratification society that, you know, we are kind of addicted to speed. And so I agree with you, though, that for transactions, you know, kind of using benchmarks like Visa, which unfortunately has been the benchmark that a lot of people have used for transactions per second for trans, you know, for things like Bitcoin, you know, kind of makes more sense relative, you know, relatively speaking. But with things that are computational, like file storage, you know, that does not apply because that just it's it's not apples to apples. So it's just I'm curious if you guys have any opinion on what I just you know kind of stated there. Yeah, I mean, I think we can get to those scales using using layer two technologies. Um, and I think for your file storage, it's, it's maybe a little bit different. Um, in general, I think there's uh, a challenge now is trying to have decentralized applications that can meet the performance expectations of people today. Um, I, I think the winning play is not to match or exceed uh, consumer expectations on, on speed. Uh, there are, I think, unique value propositions around decentralized technologies that you can never get to with a visa or with, uh, you know, whatever your, your, you know, fastest, uh, you know, cloud server is going to, going to provide. Um, we, we believe that the ability to have, especially open financial systems, um, where, Anybody anywhere in the world can create or access any financial product. Like that, that's something that's gonna gonna change the world, and that's not something that you can get to with 
just building on existing centralized payment and financial systems. Right. So let's get into that because that's a good lead in. Um, so I believe Danny wrote this. We now have almost fully decentralized options for borrowing, lending, and trading crypto assets, creating derivatives around any asset or event, and even a USD-denominated stablecoin that allows risk-off positions and greatly improved UX without ever needing to directly touch that dirty, dirty fiat. Discuss the state, if you could, of open finance or what people call DeFi, if you could. Certainly. So uh, the the open finance ecosystem or the DeFi ecosystem has been advancing at uh, an incredible pace. I think the the quote you just read was from something that I, I published just five months ago, um, talking about um, where the ecosystem is and where I saw it going. And there are so many things that I was talking about then as being just newly emerged state of the art. And we're leaps and bounds beyond that. Uh, but there are, in addition to the idea of just being able to have assets like Bitcoin and, and Ether and then issue other assets um, on, on top of especially Ethereum, uh, there are protocols like Maker and like Compound and Dharma and DYDX that allow for lending and uh, for creating derivatives. And uh, especially Maker allows for the creation of uh, an asset called DAI, which is a USD-denominated stablecoin. Um, these things have, have really pushed things forward. And now we've gone from the idea of having a, just an open source, um, I don't know, Venmo or PayPal equivalent in your wallet to being able to have an open source uh, full financial system in your pocket where you're able to take out loans against assets, where you're able to lend out your assets, where you're able to uh, exchange assets without relying on anybody else to take custody and where there is full transparency into all of the machinations that are going into allowing you to access and use those products and services. And so I'm curious, you know, one of the things that uh, you and I talked about before, Dan, and you know, obviously, Ian, if you have any opinion on this coming from traditional finance going into crypto, but there is this notion, you know, what we've seen and what you alluded to is uh, kind of loans or almost asset backed um, iteration CDPs is what the, the, the nomenclature is in, uh, in crypto. And so we have this thing that's happened over the last, I don't know, I guess you can call it eight to 12 months. Where, as you alluded to, we have Compound and Dharma and BlockFi, we have Uniswap, we have lots of different platforms that have emerged. We have hundreds of millions of dollars of Ethereum locked up in CDPs. Um, and so we now have other iterations around some that are trying to create synthetic products like CDS. Um, and so there seems to be a little bit more of this kind of 2007, 2008 systemic risk thing that's happening within the market. And so you have been discussing this notion of superfluid collateral. And so I'd love to hear kind of what that is and how it all plays into this world of DeFi. Sure. So the, the concept of superfluid collateral um, kind of emerged from the idea that in the open finance space, what we're typically seeing is loans that need to be over collateralized. Um, and, and that's done because if you don't know who you're lending money to, you need to be sure that uh, they're going to pay you back and having them over collateralize that given the volatility of a lot of these assets is uh, a necessity. Uh, unfortunately, that's really capital inefficient. So the idea of superfluid collateral is 
well, what if that collateral didn't have to just sit there and be uh, inert and be useless? And the idea was to both have something act as collateral for a loan, and at the same time, let those assets be used potentially to provide liquidity for trading on Uniswap or uh, you know, allow those assets to also be staked to support uh, a, a protocol. Um, potentially, I think that's going to happen with uh, ETH itself as we move to uh, Ethereum 2.0. Uh, I think most ETH will actually end up getting staked and what people will transact with will be a derivative of that, that staked ETH. Um, this, I think it's been scary for a lot of people, and rightfully so, as you point out, it does sound like we're creating a lot of systemic risk. And I, I don't want to downplay uh, that risk, but the the term that um, you know people are, are often going to hear is you know rehypothecation. And and this isn't really what's happening. I would say there's actually pretty clear analogs to this in some ways if you think about lending in the traditional space. Um, you know, Wealthfront and others have rolled out. The idea of a portfolio line of credit where you're able to take out a loan that is collateralized more than the value of the loan by your portfolio of stocks. If you think about uh, you know, taking out a, a mortgage, um, you've actually collateralized that with your house um, where the, the value of the house, you put 20% down, let's say, so now more than the value of the loan has been pledged as collateral to the bank. And you are then in there using that house, living in that house, or potentially renting it out. Um, the same way with your portfolio line of credit, you still have those assets. It's not like you had to cash out to dollars. Those assets are sitting there. They're still hopefully earning you a return, potentially earning dividends on those those stocks while still acting as collateral for a loan. So I don't think this is as as foreign and just getting into this like crazy world of you know uh, financial engineering and derivatives. This is in some ways, you know, pretty basic stuff that a lot of people already interact with. And here we're doing it on a more transparent system uh, with greater potential for composability. Interesting. Yeah, this is a conversation that I'm going to want to pick up with you again in the coming months to see as as the, the space matures and open finance and DeFi matures and we start to see more of these things kind of happening. I'd love to obviously catch up with you again on that and see how this is all evolving. You know, I think... Before we get into kind of the get to know you uh, kind of component of the show, one of the things I'd love to hear from you guys, since you guys are looking at projects early on, um, and we've highlighted a few like Zeppelin OS and Augur and others, what are some of the things that you guys have seen recently? You know, you don't have to name names unless you want to, but, you know, in terms of thematics or, or types, of, uh, types of platforms, what are you seeing out there that is getting you excited or that we should be looking for in the coming months? Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm excited about stuff that that um, is actually playing around with uh, human psychology and how we tap into that that to get more more use. Um, one of the projects that I actually saw recently um, that I thought was really cool was something called Pool Together, um, which uh, implemented the concept of a no loss lottery. So people are depositing uh, DAI, uh, so basically USD denominated stablecoin, into a contract. Uh, that contract is then depositing that die on Compound, which is a kind of money market protocol, to earn interest. At the end of the period, which I believe is about two weeks, um, everybody gets their initial deposit back, and then 
one person ends up getting all of the accrued interest from everyone's deposits. Um, and this is something that has been in existence uh, in, in various forms in a lot of different societies. Um, we actually saw experiments with this uh, about a decade ago in, in the U.S. and Michigan with the credit unions there. Uh, they called it a prize-linked savings account. And it was incredibly effective at getting, I think they had 11,000 families participate. They had um, over half of them not previously being savers at all, and over 60% having participated uh, in, uh, bought a lottery ticket in the, in the past six months. So what this shows is that these traditional prize link savings accounts were actually have actually been very effective at getting people to redirect uh, their kind of gambling behavior and lottery playing behavior into positive savings behavior. Uh, so I think anything that can create behavioral change like that that helps people is, is really interesting. We should look at it. And then the ability to then implement this now on crypto means we can potentially do this at a global scale. Um, and that this won't be limited by your ability to uh, qualify for a bank account or you know have a lot of extensive identity information. Anybody can play this game, but they're actually also saving and building up that savings habit. And so I think um, while, while that's a very cool project, I think an underexplored area here is how do we tap into innate human desires um, and create products that will boost adoption uh, of this technology and allow us to get to true network effects at the consumer level. Um, I think we're, we're just starting to scratch the surface on that. So one of the areas that I'm most passionate about, and this kind of stems from uh, even before crypto, is um, some of uh, decentralized networks applications in the area of the future of work. So, um, you know, if you look at, uh, I live in San Francisco, um, you know, and, and it, not a day goes by where we see these, these situations and outcomes more and more where, you know, one person or uh, the top tier kind of investors within a, a single technology company, all the value that's created on these technology platforms accrues to a single individual or the VCs and all the creators on these networks, whether you're talking about Uber or Airbnb, are, you know, worth next to nothing. And um, if you look at kind of that trend, right, more and more work being done on technology platforms and more and more labor and employment looking more freelance and kind of gig economy like work, um, you have to ask yourself the question um, as to whether or not that path for society is sustainable long term. And I have a point of view that, that it's not. And so what we're going to need is something that changes that incentive structure um, and aligns the incentives of the value that's being created to the people that are actually creating and contributing to the value of these platforms. And so where, where that lands for me is um, I'm really passionate about how um, some crypto projects are thinking about um, aligning incentives between um, players on their specific platform or marketplace. And so one of our portfolio companies called Brain Trust, which is doing that for this for global software developers, is just is doing just that, where it's a global freelance um, software developer platform that is not only um, you know for the freelancers but also owned by the freelancers via a token via to a tokenized network. And so what for the first time we can do is allow you know a freelancer, whether they're in Kiev and you know world class in TensorFlow development or a mobile app developer in India 
to not only be compensated for their work uh, globally um, and their contributions, but also have a stake in the technology platform that they are helping you know, grow and develop. And so I think we're going to see more and more of these. Uh, we have a couple of investments in our portfolio that are like this, including Brain Trust, as well as one that's um, doing this in the game developer space globally. And um, I think this is a really important kind of innovation, not only for uh, adoption, but also you know, for, for society itself. I think that's really... That's really what this was supposed to be all about. It was supposed to be incentivizing the actual creators of networks and platforms again, instead of having that going really to the the top. Um, And so really super interesting stuff. And and Dan, I love that lotto uh, one that you're talking about too. I'm going to have to definitely find out more about that. Um, and so getting toward the top of the hour with the show, as you may have may not listen to it before, but uh, for those that have, everyone knows that I like to kind of find out a little bit more about the guests that we have on here. And the two areas that I'd like to find out about are what they're reading, so what they're putting into their brain, and then what they're listening to, so what they're putting in between their brain. Um, and so if you guys could, anything that you've read recently that resonated, it could be crypto, it could be non-crypto. Um, and then we'd love to hear kind of what music you listen to while they're working or traveling or exercising, whatever it is that really gets you uh, going, gets you motivated, gets you thinking. Uh, sure. So um, on, on the book front, uh, you know, I've been, unfortunately, I probably read more nonfiction and, and less fiction uh, than I should. But the the piece of fiction I've been getting into recently is I just got a, a couple stories into uh, Cory Doctorow's new uh, short story collection radicalized um and you know it's just uh it really it really hits you in terms of the directions that um society is is heading with how we interact with technology and the power that it it puts in in the hands of a uh, relatively small number of players who may be somewhat disconnected from the lives of the people who's actually using that technology in the end uh, so it's it's provocative and i think it's it's one of the, the things I love about science fiction is uh, it helps pull you out of your day to day and think about potential long term implications, both positive and negative, uh, for the the companies and the trends that we're seeing in early stage technology. Um, and, and in terms of music, um, uh, I've got I've got a couple of young kids, so listening to a lot of uh, uh, kids music and trying to do some more kind of folk music and stuff for them. But I, I'm starting to try to work some some more classics like Led Zeppelin in there as well. Uh, and certainly more when I'm on my own. Uh, but, but yeah, trying to make sure that the uh, next generation gets musically educated as well. So less Baby Shark, more whole lot of love. Love it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Ian? Yeah, so I, I've been um, on a personal quest to really understand the historical concept, context behind what I was kind of talking about in terms of the future of work. And so um, a lot of my my... Uh, reading recently has been in kind of um, studying cooperatives, uh, not crypto-based, but but cooperatives that have uh, actually existed for for actually since since the beginning of human history, um, when when people started organizing in kind of tribes and things like that. Um, to more recently, you know, uh, taxi companies like one one in Denver that's actually um, the dominant player as compared to Uber and Lyft, um, and how cooperatives globally um, have about 
six billion people that are part of uh, cooperatives, whether in the retail, agriculture, or other spaces, and how um, you know crypto might actually bring that to the technology space, um, but also what we can learn from them, because uh, after you know hundreds and hundreds of years of these cooperatives existing, um, you learn you know you, you can learn a lot in terms of um, what's worked well, what what hasn't in, in the ways of uh, governance and and self organization, mm-hmm. um, which I think is is super interesting. Um, as far as music is concerned, uh, I, I get uh, bashed on by my team all the time because I'm a I'm a, um, a top 40s uh, fan. So I, I I'm not above that. I I, I do uh, like a lot of top 40s music. Come on, um, Ian, who do you like specifically? <laughs> so so Dan will, Dan will be coming back on the show and Ian will not be. Well, okay. I mean, I think you have a pretty wide base so i am you know i'm not afraid to say that i i do enjoy taylor swift and lizzo and uh, a bunch of others um I, I i'm a big fan of of those uh those artists um and then i've also got you know my own kind of indie streak and and i love hip-hop but uh yeah top 40s is the only thing that people remember so saving face with hip-hop and some indie stuff i like that's good that's good <laughs> it's again. okay you know i'm just gonna own it yeah there you go I'm, I'm it's good you know that's that's what we need to do um and so wrapping up one of the things i also like to give you guys a chance to do where can people learn about ideo ideo collab where can people reach out to you guys and find out more about the really awesome stuff you guys are doing yeah, you can uh, check out the website, uh, ideocollab.com. And if you want to check out the um, kind of venture activity and investing, uh, that's uh, with a slash ventures at the end. Uh, we're also at ideocollab on Twitter. Um, on on Twitter individually, I'm at Dialitzer. Yeah, at Ian John Lee. And uh, yeah, you can find us find us there. And uh, you know, if you people are interested in getting in touch about the startup studio. Uh, they can also just shoot us an email, uh, startupstudio at ideo.com. Awesome. Really, really awesome. And really, I'm happy to hear that there's efforts like this because this is needed in the space. We need to have real attempts and real efforts to make these things sustainable and to make them work. And so congratulations on getting that started and with the support that you've received from corporate America and also from crypto. And so hoping to have you guys back on in about six or seven months to catch up and see how everything has transpired. This was Dan and Ian from IDEO Collab. And so reach out to them, learn about what they're doing, learn about the ventures and the startup studio. And we'll be having you guys on again soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, David. Thanks so much. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash baselayer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Baselayer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space in the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, marketing commentary, videos, and more.